2: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03 on a Friday afternoon, November 17th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour. I'm Rob Hart. A Chicago businessman working to remove a stigma around seeking mental health treatment in the black community. We'll meet him in our next segment. But right now, surging child care costs can make staying home a more viable financial option than having a job. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park Business Line reminding you to bring your business home is Chris Everett, fiduciary financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions in Forest Park author of the book Prescription for a Healthy Retirement. Chris, thank you for joining us today and boy is this a conversation that every couple has at one point in their life and it always involves, you know, does the math add up and it sounds like Chris, if one salary is basically going to child care you might want to think about staying at home.
0: Yeah, that's right. You know, financially, when you calculate the tax savings from losing that income, it may be surprisingly attractive to be a stay-at-home parent. Of course, that depends on your circumstances, right? But being a stay-at-home parent can also be a blessing to the family, not just the kids. You know, those kiddos grow up so fast, and before you know it, they're out the door. I have clients who are stay-at-home parents, and they tell me they also want to be the influencer in their kids' lives, not just leave it up to the school or the internet or the television. I have parents that also go another step and they even homeschool and they find that they develop deeper bonds with their kids because they're just more present.
2: And I'm going to say this is a judgment free zone here on the noon yep. business hour. Whatever situation you have at home, whether a parent stays home, whether both parents work, whether you have someone, uh, you're, 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 you also are a teacher, you're a homeschool teacher, whatever works for you, that's okay. But uh, I mean, I, I can tell you my own situation. Um, my parents, who watch our youngest daughter one day a week now, um, they were there a lot more uh, as both my wife and I were working and the kids were a lot younger. They're in school now. And they've probably given us, over the course of the last 10 years, tens of thousands of dollars worth of child care. If you do not have grandma and grandpa available to you, that child care bill can add up and quickly.
0: Yes, it can. So if you're going to do this, First, take a look at your essential expenses, food, clothing, shelter, but you've got to continue to save. And I'd love to see people saving at least 10, 20, you know, God, 30 percent would be great for the long term. But you also have to have an emergency fund and vacation is not for an emergency. Once you have those basic expenses and savings accomplished, then you can begin to look at the discretionary spending, you know, vacations, events, classes, hobbies, health clubs. Because if you forget to budget and save, it's easy to fall victim to over credit card usage. And that's a dangerous enemy that you want to avoid if at all possible.
2: And then very quickly, Chris, let's loop this into another conversation we've had. If you do have a parent who stays home because it makes financial sense, that means that parent is no longer contributing to a retirement account they may have had in their old job. So how do you keep maintaining that while at the same time uh, staying home and taking care of the kiddos?
0: Yeah. That's why you have to really look at those ex- at a budget. You must continue to save. And maybe you won't be saving as much as you used to because you're not getting a match anymore. And so, you, But you just have to take a look at it. Hire a financial planner to look at all those pieces. It could save you money by doing so.
2: Chris Everett, fiduciary financial planner and president of Everett Wealth Solutions in Forest Park, author of the book, The Prescription for a Healthy Retirement. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up, a Chicago entrepreneur who's blending coffee and mental health cashing in with conversation. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Entrepreneur Friday. A Chicago musician who has battled mental health issues founded coffee, hip-hop, and mental health to create a safe place to destigmatize therapy in the black community. We welcome in Christopher Lamarck, founder of Coffee, Hip-Hop, and Mental Health, 1051 West Belmont in Chicago. Christopher, thank you for joining us today. A lot of people, when they get into business or open, a business themselves just opening the doors and making money is is you that's the goal but it sounds like your business has goals even higher than commerce
3: absolutely uh the goal of the cafe was to say hey you know what as a nonprofit, we want to be able to sustain ourselves while we're waiting for people to donate but more importantly We wanted to use the coffee as a conduit to get people in a cafe to a safe space and take those funds and say, let's pay for people to go to therapy, whether it be group or
2: individual. And when we talk, there, there's so much of a discussion about mental health that's taking place in all corners of society, uh, and it's really taken off in the last uh, three or four years, especially as people are just trying to grapple with the changes brought about by the pandemic. But talk about your own talk about your own mental health journey. What is it done for you and what do you hope to teach other people?
3: Yeah, uh, just being in a space of vulnerability and like understanding like the power of that. You know, when I had a very messy cry, uh very necessary messy cry back in 2018, sitting inside of a coffee shop, which sparked this whole concept, uh, it taught me the power of what it means to be able to walk into spaces without bias or judgment so you can give people the space to talk about their stuff so they can feel like they're not alone. And so once I started the conversation, I wanted to take what was happening in therapy to the public so we can teach people that, number one, vulnerability is a gift. Two, you don't have to live in shame and embarrassment from the trauma that took place in your lives. And you can be present. You just have to do the work and go at your own pace because healing is a marathon and we're all trying to figure this stuff out.
2: And how does the coffee shop help you accomplish that mission? Is this a money-making enterprise or is it a nonprofit?
3: So it's definitely a nonprofit, uh, but, you know, I try to teach people now that even nonprofits need to have scalable uh, procedures, right? Because we have to be able to sustain a business from an operation standpoint and we have to be able to pay the therapist. And so we're spending $2,000 on every individual who's in our program. And I think right now we have 71 people. So do the math, 71 times 2,000, that gives each of them 20 sessions which is equivalent to five months of support. And so, no, uh, we want to sell coffee. We want to sell merchandise. We want people to flood our space. We want people to give us donations because even as a nonprofit, we have to have a successful and sustainable business model so we would never have to shut down or close our doors or, or stop offering free therapy. So, yes, we have to make money. It's all about fundraising.
2: And your mission is also to destigmatize the seeking of mental health therapy, uh, especially in the Black community. But it seems like this is a situation where, um, even you know, regardless of where you come from, if you say, "Look, I think I have some problems I need to uh, to to address," um, you probably have to overcome the inclination to say, "Oh, you know, you can just you know you, you'll you'll snap out of it soon."
3: Nah. So you know, I learned in my own life, uh, sir, that. Uh, I was hiding or harboring so much pain and frustration, and I was watching it deteriorate my relationships or not be able to build a sustainable and healthy life. Bouncing from group homes to shelter to foster care, and then as an adult, bopping around and not having any place of stability because I wasn't emotionally stable because of the pain. And so, no, I you know I think it's important not to ignore it. I, we have to speak about it, and we just can't continue to hide and harbor pain. It just doesn't work. And so. That is what our goal is. That is our mission to give people that space. And, and, and I want to say this. While we started with black people in the city of Chicago, and that's our priority and value, because of coffee, hip hop, and mental it speaks to the whole world, it's hard to like, really pinpoint who our target audience is now because we attract everybody.
2: Christopher Lamarck, founder of Coffee, Hip Hop, and Mental Health. Thank you for joining us today. And, of course, you can find it at 1051 West Belmont on the north side of Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, planning your next trip with the help of artificial intelligence. Money conversation that pays a big dividend. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Artificial intelligence is set to transform travel planning. Joining us to explain is Jonathan Brill, artificial intelligence expert, writer, speaker, global futurist find him online at jonathanbrill.com jonathan thank you for joining us today in the future let's say six months from now and you turn to a large language model a chatbot, uh, to help you plan a vacation how can this ai assistant help you does it help you find a destination does it help you coordinate different portions of your trip you know how, how will ai transform travel planning
4: I think it will, first of all, change the way we think about travel planning. What you described was an idea where you plan a thing and then it happens. In a world of large language models, artificial intelligence links to things like Uber, Kayak, Google, they're going to be able to help you figure out exactly what you want to do next in that moment. The challenge we've always had is, you know, you can go to the Four Seasons, you can rinse a cruise, everything will be taken care of for you, but there's There's no real novelty in that. It's all kind of programmed. If you just decide you're going to go to Vietnam and uh, figure out where you're going to stay and figure out how you're going to eat and you don't speak the language, that's a real problem. But what we're going to see are these hyper-customized assistants that help us create real-time offers, accept real-time offers, and at the same time, real-time translation, where you can talk to someone in English and they can hear you in Chinese and the other way back in real time. These things are coming. They're coming right now. The second thing that's happening is that you know today, if you want to get from that, if you want to stay at the Four Seasons and you want to go to some restaurant, you've got to figure out how to get there. Today, you have to do that uh, by trying to negotiate with a taxi driver. In San Francisco right now, Waymo has self-driving cars. I was in one just the other day. They are better drivers than taxi drivers, believe it or not, and they're going to make it so easy to instead of planning everything before you go, experience the novelty and adventure when you get there. With
2: and it sounds like I mean in terms of you know training uh, an AI model on whatever knowledge you give it, uh, there are so many travel websites or travel blogs or travel applications that can tell you how to plan a trip off the beaten path. It seems like you could teach a travel bot. To give you destinations that are, may not be in the official guidebook or hotels that may not be in the official guidebook?
4: I think that's absolutely the case. I'm in Barcelona today. Uh, last night I was sitting at my favorite restaurant, a place called Calpep. Guy comes in, never been to the city before. He'd he walked by half an hour before and he said, That place is closed, but that looks like the good place to eat. I've been here 20 times. He was right. That's the good place to eat in the neighborhood. He had an instinct. Oftentimes when you're traveling, those instincts are wrong. If you have a personal digital assistant that's always in your ear, always listening, it can point out what that place is going to be without your having to look through the guidebook, without your having to keep a copy of The Lonely Planet in your back pocket.
2: And then very quickly, Jonathan, uh, the, the the notion of real-time translation, that does seem like something out of Star Trek's Universal Translator. Will this be a text application, or could it speak back uh, using an Alexa or Siri-type voice?
4: It, it will absolutely speak back using an Alexa or Siri-type voice. Um there's a, a large language model right now called Pi that does that very well, and that sounds completely human, completely normal, happens completely in real time. It's just amazing.
2: Well, thank you for joining us today, Jonathan Brill, artificial intelligence expert. Joy Barcelona, writer, speaker, global futurist at jonathanbrill.com. Still ahead on Entrepreneur Friday, a suburban business that provides a personal candle experience. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com recommend
4: today. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way.
2: this is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 1059 the WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Two lawsuits have been filed in the aftermath of an accident on the CTA Yellow Line yesterday. More is being revealed about Israeli military operations in the Gaza Strip. It's Entrepreneur Friday. We meet the founder of a candle making business that makes it an interactive personal experience and Illinois' craft beer industry still feeling the ripple effects of the pandemic. WBBM business. The markets are mixed right now. The Dow down 19 points. NASDAQ up 23, and the S&P 500 is up 7. 49 degrees right now in Chicago under mostly sunny skies. Topping up at around 50 today. Wind chills in the 40s. It's 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, two lawsuits have now been filed following yesterday's collision involving a CTA yellow line train. Attorney Henry Simmons represents 52-year-old passenger Cleon Hawkins. He tells CBS2. It should never happen and we're going to investigate it thoroughly on why it happened. And represent our clients to the best of our ability. The other suit is filed on behalf of a 67-year-old rider who was in the first seat of the train's first car. A total of 38 passengers and workers were hurt in the crash. Israeli leaders are updating what they say they found during their military operations targeting hospitals in Gaza. CBS News correspondent Imtiaz Tayab reports on what he saw while accompanying troops. We
4: traveled deep into Gaza under the cover of darkness. We are met by the Seirat Matkal. These special forces led the raid on the al-Shifa hospital complex and have been searching it
2: since Wednesday. And this is what they found. A tunnel. They say is proof Hamas fighters used the hospital as a command center. We were then taken inside a small one-story building where we were shown a collection of grenades, rifles, and ammunition apparently taken from a vehicle also found on the hospital's grounds. The Biden administration is backing Israel's assertions that Hamas bases some of its operations in the hospitals a claim the militant group denies. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Uh, markets are mixed right now. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home is Chuck Carlson, CEO of Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast newsletter based in Hammond, Indiana. Chuck, thank you for joining us today. Even though it looks like the rally that uh, bounced off of uh, those two positive inflation reads appears to be running out of steam or at least running in place. We're now on our third winning week in a row for the markets.
5: Yes, and I guess I would uh, say that it's it's taking more of a pause than, than stopping. I think the, the direction for this market is going to continue to be up. As you know, we're on a, a primary bull market trend according to the Dow theory. We're getting into what is typically a seasonally strong period of the year. When you look at those three Main engines of sustained performance for the market: interest rates, inflation, and corporate profits. You know, they're 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 trending in in, in the right direction. That rates are still kind of high, but they're coming down. Inflation is certainly trending lower, and corporate profits were pretty good. And and the other factor that we've seen with this rally, that kind of emboldens me, is you know, it's really been uh, spreading out of leadership. You know, for much of the year. The market was really led by those, you know, seven to 10 mega cap stocks, the magnificent seven that everybody calls them. But what we've seen here in the last three weeks is really a broadening. You're seeing small caps do well. You're seeing value stocks do well, gross stocks, dividend stocks, transportation stocks. So that's the sort of uh, breadth of leadership that you see when markets are going to sustain an upward move.
2: So, are we are we primed to see a rally through the end of the year? Because uh, there there is a school of thought that maybe that rally has already been priced in.
5: Uh, well, it's it's possible. I, I guess I kind of think we are going to see a, a rally into the end of the year here. Uh, you know, keep in mind we, we went through a pretty aggressive market correction from uh, you know August into the end of uh, October. That, that, in my opinion, took a lot of froth out of the market and does what corrections are supposed to do is scare the heck out of investors. So, you know, we're coming off of that. And I think, you know, valuations aren't as stretched when you look across the market and not just in those, you know, 7 to 10 or 15 stocks at the top. I think valuations aren't stretched. I think there's still pretty good value in the market. I think earnings are holding up pretty well. And I think uh, investors are going to be willing to pay more for those earnings if inflation continues to trend lower.
2: What's the inflation story and, on top of that, the interest rate story as 23 rolls over into 24? Um, are we still talking about higher for longer or are we talking about cuts to interest rates once again just because it looks like we're knocking on the door of 2% inflation?
5: Yeah, I, it is possible. I guess I'm I'm not – I. I... I think the market can do well even if we don't get those cuts. I think that uh, as long as, you know, what really hurt the market in in that two-month period was just the rapid acceleration of rates higher. If rates kind of simmer down, which they have, they look like they're rolling over, Uh, if they kind of continue to trend lower, you know, and they don't even have to do it quickly, just continue to kind of give uh, evidence that they're not going to go higher, I think that's fine. And from an inflation standpoint you know, the area of inflation that I think really matters when it comes to the market is wage inflation. And, you know, we're comfortably under 5% now and probably moving under 4%. And so that's trending in the right direction. So, you know, to answer your question, I think both of those things, if we don't get reversals in them, and uh, I think they're going to be favorable for stocks in 2024.
2: And very quickly, it sounds like the uh, Dow theory is showing a bull market signal for the foreseeable future.
5: It, well, it is. You know, what we would like to see now is a reconfirmation of that bull market. And you would get that if you see both the Dow Industrials and Transports go above those uh, those late July, early August levels. And uh, I, I think they'll be able to do that, quite frankly.
2: Chuck Carlson, CEO, Horizon Investment Services and publisher of the Dow Theory Forecast Newsletter in Hammond, Indiana. Thank you for joining us today. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Entrepreneur Friday on the Noon Business Hour. Today we meet a businesswoman who transformed a basement venture that began in 2021 into a brick-and-mortar reality this fall. We welcome in Alex Masterson, founder of the Candle Vault, 114 Kansas Street in downtown Frankfurt in the South. Southwest suburbs. Uh, Alex, thank you for joining us today, and I'm sure you agree with my assessment of downtown Frankfurt as a really cool downtown. If you have not been uh, to Frankfurt, it is one of the uh, neater suburban downtowns you're going to encounter, especially uh, along Kansas Street and the the old Plank Road down there in Frankfurt.
6: Absolutely. Yeah, it's really a great place. And we're just so lucky and fortunate to have just opened our candle shop down there for our custom candle pouring experience.
2: Now, before we talk about uh, what you do at the Candle Vault, it sounds like just turning this into a brick-and-mortar reality was a saga in and of itself.
6: Yes. So the building that we're located in was Frankfurt's First Bank, circa 1892, so it did take some time to um, bring her back to her original beauty. So everything inside is original, um, including the tile floor, the vault, the ceiling, the doors, and the windows, all from the 1800s. And I do have to give a shout out to my cousin, Joe DeFazio, who did the work. Incredible job.
2: Now this began uh as as a as a home project. This is something you did in your home. When you decided to find a space, why did you swing for the fences and get the historic building?
6: We just felt that um the ability to pour your own candle just fits so perfect in a historic bank and we just we live in the area and we just wanted to give a cool experience to um our community just where people can come out and have fun and do something themselves that they can you know a candle you could take it home you can burn it um bring it back we could refill it for you so just kind of a very cool like do-it-yourself experience we just wanted to give the community something to come out and look forward to, uh, to doing
2: and this with the brick and mortar location in the historic bank building opened in September uh, how did you start making candles yourself and where was the aha moment that hey maybe this could be kind of a fun uh, group building exercise yeah
6: so it started in my basement in 2021 um, and I'm very thankful to have since moved out of the basement into a much larger space. But um, we were very thankful to be a part of Frankfurt's Fall Fest. So it's a giant vendor fair that they have every year. It's nationally ranked. It's wonderful. Check it out. Um, but we have been in Frankfurt's Fall Fest since 2021. And I just remember making these candles for the first time. And we were like, oh, these are actually really good. And But it, for me, like I have to like plan all the scents and the candles. So I wanted to have people get the chance to like make and blend whatever scents that they wanted, um, just because everybody has such a personal preference for scents. Like you might like roses, I might not. So um, we wanted just a, so we wanted to give the ability for people to create a candle just the way that they want it. So we have over 110 different. Sense that people can come in, and we recommend custom blending two to three together to make your own candle. But just like wanting people to have exactly what they want.
2: Okay, now this this has become uh, I'm so bad at guessing candle sense, Alex. This is like a running joke between my wife and I, uh, where it, it it finally became like the answer to every question was what does this candle smell like, and my answer was lavender because that was the, <laughs> that was <laughs> that was the only the only suggestion I can come up with. So how did you develop uh, such a sense of Smell that would allow you to differentiate between uh, different candle scents because it's not just uh, like a, a basic candle smell, like oh flowers. It's an experience. Right. It's it's coffee. It's 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 espresso. It's a winter wonderland. You know how exactly. how can you determine which which what, what scent goes where?
6: Yeah, so we've done a lot of research, and there is a fragrance wheel which you know certain scents pair better with others. But what I tell customers at the end of the day is this is really all about what you want it to be like i could tell you all day that woodsy scents pair well with citrus scents so example like cedar and lemon go great together go ahead people steal my ideas no i'm just kidding (laughs) Um, but at the end of the day um it's really about like what you want so we tell people like say for florals like you can mix two floral together because like you said it's not just flowers like we have plumeria and daisies and sunflower and just a variety of flowers Um, and we do a lot of trial and error in store with customers so we tell them to smell all of our hundred and cents try not to let that overwhelm you and then um, my employees and myself um, when you come back to the bar to custom pour your own candle we have uh, beakers that we let you sample mixing fragrance oils with so before you pour your candle Um, you have narrowed down exactly what your blends will be. Right. Um, And and it's fun because if you come with friends, it's like you ask your friend, oh, hey, do you like this? What do you think of this? Does it need more, you know, roses? Does it need more, you know, whatever the scents you're mixing? So it's kind of fun just to have friends around and we guide you. But at the end of the day, it's, it's all about what you
2: want. Yeah, you want to mix the, the the sense that will invite people into your home as opposed to chase them away. Alex Masterson, founder of the Candle Vault, 114 Kansas Street, downtown Frankfurt. Thank you for joining us today. Still to come, an update on the scuffling Illinois craft beer industry. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. The pandemic dealt a huge blow to the craft beer industry in Illinois. Let's look at where things stand with Ali Maradi, restaurants and retail reporter with Crane Chicago business. Business. Allie, thank you for joining us today. Craft beer is a $2.8 billion industry in Illinois, so says the Brewers Association Trade Group. And yet, it's it's, it's showing some signs of struggling. Has it hit a ceiling?
7: That's a great question. I, I don't think it has. You know, um, Illinois started 2022 out with 302 craft breweries, and 31 have closed since. The big one we just heard about, uh, Metropolitan Brewing up in the Avondale neighborhood. It's set to close in December, so we already know that number is going to go up. Winter is historically a very slow time for craft breweries because people do dry January and try to be healthy and cut back drinking. So um, experts say that they expect that number to continue to tick upwards.
2: And, and and what are some of the uh, headwinds facing the craft beer industry? Is it just simply uh, changing tastes? Uh, uh, society just developed uh, uh, different interests during COVID, and 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 the IPA slingers of the world are trying to uh, win their business back.
7: You know that's certainly part of it. Um, I, the biggest thing is that. Craft breweries just haven't seen traffic return to their tap rooms like they hoped, and like like it was in 2019. Um, and that's bad news for them because pre-pandemic, 70% of their revenue were made was made in tap rooms. So uh, it's partially the changing taste. A lot more people are turning to those ready-to-drink canned cocktails, uh, wine, spirits, that kind of stuff. And and legally, a lot of breweries aren't licensed to sell wine and liquor. So there's there's that going on. Um, a lot of them took out really sizable loans to get through the pandemic and kind of betting on the return of traffic to their tap rooms. So now that a lot of those loans are coming due, it's just really difficult. Um, so there's, they're kind of being hit on all different sides here.
2: And then what about the uh, distribution side of the equation? I mean, there are some uh, craft breweries in Chicago that uh, 10 years ago used to be under the hidden gem territory. Now you see their stuff on grocery shelves uh, all over the region. Are they finding a hard time uh, uh, getting that distribution?
7: Yeah, I'm being told that's a big problem, too. It's just the the deals with the uh, distributors, actually. So. Some breweries self-distribute if they're small enough. Some of them contract with wholesalers, but the problem is they're locked into this contract. So if there's some sort of slowdown in sales like we're seeing right now, they have to pay large sums or have a hard time getting out of this contract. So I'm told that that is hurting some folks as well. On the flip side, you're seeing other breweries I spoke with, for example, Hopewell Brewing up in Logan Square. They were self-distributing but just entered into one of these uh, third-party agreements because they need to grow in order to pay off their debt. And it's the only way that they can do it. So, you know, it's a big risk with potentially a big reward, but the distribution side of it is definitely an issue as well.
2: Ali Marati, restaurants and retail reporter, Crane Chicago Business, talking about some of the headwinds in the craft beer industry.